Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. The West Fjords is remote even for Iceland. And then right at the, you know, at the end of one of the fingers of this claw is Thingy, this little village where we, we have the party. In one way, like when you get there, you're like, this is the edge of the world. It seemed like the most well-behaved club clientele that I've ever seen. Like one guy dropped his own drink and immediately scrambled for paper towels and cleaned it up himself. If you can't figure out who the problem maker was, Evan, it was probably you. It was probably me. What's up, everyone? Welcome to No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. And Johnny Ensal is here today. He's the global editor-in-chief at Inc. and the former editor of Time Out. But more importantly for this podcast, he's the creator of Detour Discotech, the world's most remote disco party. He just hosted the first iteration of the event in Thingeri, Iceland, a small town of just 300 people in Iceland's remote West Fjords, which I was lucky enough to attend it was an absolute blast, one of the coolest and weirdest experiences of my life, and I can't wait to peel back the curtain a bit on what it took to actually make such a crazy event a reality. Yeah, it sounds like quite the event, and quite the event to travel so far just for a party, so it's, it's a crazy conversation that we have with Johnny. It's definitely the farthest I've ever traveled for a party. And the cover charge, technically, the tickets were like 15 to $20. So also the, the least money I've ever spent to, to get to a nightclub, I think, in my life. And it, was in, and it was in their most remote town in Iceland that you can possibly imagine. All around very cool stuff. Before we get into that, we're going to get into hot takes. Uh, Tim, you want to start off? Sure. So my hot take question for you today, Evan, when you're flying to a place like Thingberry, Iceland, and it's for a specific event... And you're on the, the plane, you know, you're pretty sure that everybody on the plane is probably going there for the same reason, but you haven't met each other yet, so you're not really talking about it. Do you feel any anxiety about that? About the not talking? About the fact that everybody is probably, like, you're probably about to have this crazy experience with all these people around you, but right now you're strangers. I, I don't think anxiety is the word. I think it's it's a weird sense of excitement. It's kind of like you have this feeling of community because this flight, so the flight to Reykjavik from uh, Boston is obviously like a giant plane. And then you get on this tiny flight from Reykjavik, 45 minutes to Thingery. And this plane is like a little propeller plane. It has maybe like 50 people on it max. And you know that everyone on this plane is is going to this event. It's almost like the first day of school when you don't know any of your classmates, like if you're just going into elementary school and you know that like in a few days or a few weeks, you're all going to know each other super well or be like lifelong friends. Right. But you don't know anyone yet. So there's this sense of it's like potential energy rather than kinetic energy. And that's exciting. I, you know, I, I've had, like, what I remember when I was flying into Terrace, B.C. for the heli-ski trip a couple of months ago, a little bit bigger airport. We were on, like, a, you know, a small plane, but a commercial plane, uh, big enough that there, it's not that everybody was going on this trip, but I knew that the, the heli-ski tour company was picking up for this trip at the airport. So I knew there was a bunch of people on the plane that were going to do the same thing 
but we didn't know each other yet. And so I'm like looking around the plane, like trying to pick out like, okay, who is going on this trip? Like who, okay. He looks like he might be a really good snowboarder. He's probably going on this trip. Those people over there are definitely not going on this trip. Like I'm, I'm like trying to figure out who's about to be my buddy. Yeah. You're trying to think like who's weird and crazy enough to go to this remote disco party in the middle of nowhere in Iceland is kind of what I was, what I would have been trying to do if it wasn't such a small plane when everyone is going to the same event. Right. But and it's funny because at the end when you're on the flight back, most of the same people were on the flight back as we're on the flight there. Cause it ended on a Saturday night. Everyone went home on Sunday and you recognize everyone on this flight. So it's probably the same exact people. But on the flight back, you recognize the DJs, you recognize the organizers, you recognize people who work in tourism, uh, other people that came from all over the world to go to this thing. And it's it's funny because it's kind of like being at the club itself on that last night after you've been in this town with people for so long and you just, you recognize people. And the, the little flight back to Reykjavik is this communal experience that isn't awkward because now you've met everybody. So yeah, that is that is the coolest thing about the the disco it's the party itself but it's also the community that surrounds and underlies the party itself all right my hot take for you are you one of those people that only eats hot things in the winter and cold things in the summer do your tastes vary with the temperature no uh not exclusively i will say that yeah i eat i tend to eat more soup in the winter and i don't really eat soup in the summer but that's probably the only thing that's different like i eat a lot of salad all year long when that's considered to be like a summer hot weather food is it really salad yeah because it's healthy and it's fresh hmm. uh but yeah i mean oh, that, i didn't associate that with the season i i'm not that big of a i mean i eat seasonally based on the ingredients of the food more so than the 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 dish uh i guess is what I'm yeah saying. i mean and that, and that makes a lot of sense i've i've never been someone who cares what season it is if i want french onion soup and it's july i'm getting french onion soup you know, especially if it's an indoor restaurant with air conditioning and the temperature where I'm consuming the food is the same, is is the same all year round. So, so you you you'll get New England clam chowder uh, even if it's a hundred degrees outside. I like the chowder little accent you threw in there. Uh, I'd be more likely to get it. First of all, people eat clam chowder all year round. Like clam chowder is like a summer thing that people will, will eat. But I'd be more likely to get it if I'm eating inside than if I'm eating outside. Like if I'm like roasting in the sun, yeah, I'm probably less likely to get something hot. But ice cream is an example. I'll crave ice cream when it's below freezing out. I'll be like, I want ice cream. And that's that people think that's weird. I went to the coffee shop the other day and it was it was a pretty hot day out. But it's an inside coffee shop with, you know, air conditioning. And I always sit and I eat there. And I said, can I get a coffee? And she's like, hot or iced? And I was like, I want hot. And she looks at me like I'm crazy. She's like, oh okay yeah i'm like well uh, what because it's like it just cracked like 80 degrees that i'm not allowed to get hot coffee anymore i'm eating i'm drinking inside like that's weird I, I drink hot coffee every day of the year it doesn't matter how hot it is outside or cold yeah i guess that's a bad example because i don't drink any coffee i just buy the coffee so i have an excuse to sit there for a few hours take up a table and i throw the coffee away outside but that illustrates my point right well now that i've given myself away uh, we'll get into we'll get into hopefully no one from that coffee shop's listening to me because they're all thinking I'm a huge weirdo now. But we're gonna get into the interview with Johnny. We'll see you guys on the other side.
All right, Johnny Ensal is the global editor in chief at Inc., the former editor at Time Out, and the creator of Detour Discotech, otherwise known as the party at the edge of the world. Johnny, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, happy to be here. So I, I want to dive into Detour Discotech and what exactly it is. So I've been kind of working with you for a few months on this and uh, covering it, went to Iceland to luckily attend it. Um, so I'm kind of immersed in the concept, but for people who have no idea what Detour Discotech is, what is it? Explain exactly what the concept is all about. Uh, sure. It's kind of a coming together of a few ideas. So one is, uh, you know, the concept of the discotheque, not just like a club or a party, but, you know, a discotheque, which in its original form was something that emerged out of a kind of very specific moment in time in New York in the late 70s, early 80s, where there were these parties that were all about kind of expression and freedom and coming together and putting aside differences and celebrating great music. And, uh, you know, the the discotheque is maybe that word has become began to sound maybe a little bit cheesy. It's maybe something that you associate with, like, getting drunk on Uzo at some sort of Greek, you know, uh, resort somewhere. But I wanted to bring back the idea of the discotheque. And then, um, yeah, the idea of, of travel and discovering amazing places which is what I do or part of what I do for my my day job and I just liked I really liked the idea I thought there was something in the idea that you could travel somewhere that just blew your mind and then at a certain point you'd find a door and you'd step through this door and it was like a wormhole and you'd disappear through it and then bam you were in 70s New York or something like it and uh I just thought what an amazing experience that would be for the people who came together to have it. And that somehow the fact that everybody had made that same journey, that same kind of pilgrimage to this place to make that same discovery simultaneously would really amplify the power of that, the power of the discotheque of the party. And that it would be a kind of shared experience unlike any other. So quite high-minded, really. <laughs> Sound, <laughs> I mean, sounds another, simple. Yeah, another way of explaining it is, is just just a party like somewhere crazy that you wouldn't expect. What was it, though, that stands out to you so much about the discotheque scene of, of the 70s, especially considering that that was, you know, 40-plus years ago now? Uh, what? Why are you fascinated by that? I mean, I mean, the music is, like, sensational for a start. It just had so much vibrancy and, like... You look back at that scene and, and, and what it led to and it was just like just before hip hop and also, you know, like clubbing is kind of rubbish these days. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's it's like pretentious or it's about it's so much about sex or so much about drugs. And I'm not saying those parties back in the day weren't also about sex and drugs, but, you know, it's all it's like just it's kind of obvious now. And, you know, people talk about these moments in time like uh like a beater in you know like back in the day or hacienda in manchester you know and 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 like the kind of original discotheques and loft parties in new york are one of those moments where like it, just some some feeling coalesced into this incredible like outburst of energy and all this amazing music and creativity came out of it 
And, uh, you know, I can't go and experience that. So I've attempted to, <laughs> to recreate it somewhere. Just to bring all the drugs and sex to Thingyeri, Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I would be, I'd be very, I'd be very surprised if anyone had uh, managed to bring uh, dr- drugs out to uh, the West Fields of Iceland. But, you know, maybe they did. Go, hey, go back there in one year. It'll be the drug trafficking capital of Iceland. This little town of 300 people. Thanks to you, <laughs> you know? It's like, well, we were a nice, like, peace-loving town. You know, we didn't really, weren't really on anyone's radar, unassuming. And then this big party came this one weekend, and now we're just like, yeah. now we're the discotheque capital. We're the modern discotheque capital. The Ibiza of Iceland. Well, when, when we were planning it, um, the subject of, like, drugs did come up. And I was told by some local figures that uh, the police might clamp down quite strongly on the possibility of drugs. So this this is like, you know, I don't know, the, the most kind of parochial of police forces in the entire world. And there, was, there, were, there were rumors that they had a drug dog and the drug <laughs> dog would be like sniffing people's luggage. But it was also suggested that the drug dog had maybe never smelled real drugs in its entire life. <laughs> it was just somebody's, <laughs> somebody's Labrador that they would bring along for effect. Yeah. I was, my, my first question was, they have a, they had a police force in Thingyeri? <laughs> Didn't yeah. see a single police officer. It's just the one guy in town that has a dog. It's him. Yeah, he yeah, is the, the cop and yeah, the dog. Yeah, it's very much that vibe. Like, I, I learned as I was starting to put it together is, you know... It's never like, I mean, it might be an authority or a public body, but it's always like somebody's cousin at the same time. And if you ever wanted anything done, you just you just had to ask like um, Anna, who would ask Kurka, who would ask Solvi, who would ask such and such, and then it would be sorted out. Right. What what really struck me was the uh, when you showed up to the first night of this thing, and everyone who worked there was just kind of like someone from around town who wanted something to do on the weekend. It was like the, the guys who were bouncers. They, they look very intimidating. They're these big guys with like beards, the black shirts. And I'm like thinking, if these are professional bouncers, where would they get work, uh, you know, in their everyday life? Like, where are they bouncing? And then I, I don't know, someone told me like, they're just guys that like live in town and like thought it'd be fun to be bouncers for a night. And it's like the the people working the bar, kind of like the same thing. They're not like professional bartenders. So it was kind of this everyone pitched in and assumed these roles like actors in a play that they have never really assumed before. Yeah, like ah, the the bouncers were fantastic. And um, they, they came from a variety of places, but like... The, the jobs out there are all kind of hardy jobs, like you work on the rescue team or you, you're a, a salmon fisher person. Uh, and like these guys are real guys, you know. I never at any point felt that they <laughs> that they were like not legit. Like they probably dealt with uh, more serious and pressing emergencies than, right. than many bouncers, yeah. yeah. Um, right, but it's not like you can just contact the nearest nightclub down the street and be like, hey, can we borrow your bouncers for a night? No, no. I mean, this, this, this was like the the challenging part about it is, I mean, Iceland is such a fascinating country because you go out to this place in the West Fjords, and I should explain that the West Fjords is is like remote even for Iceland. You know, like there's there's the kind of central part of Iceland which is connected by this ring road that goes in a loop around the country, and then the West West Fjords is like this kind of claw type landmass which is stuck onto one corner of it 
and then right at the, you know at the end of one of the fingers of this claw is Thingy, this little village where we we held the party and uh in one way like when you get there you're like this is the edge of the world this is, there are these like dramatic uh kind of volcanic mountains and fjords uh, and they're, they're black and kind of ominous and looming and these these tiny little roads that skirt around them getting you to places uh but then you'll get there and you're like oh i've got 4g you know it's at the same time it's iceland you know it's like this insanely kind of well set up and developed nation which provides extremely well for all of its inhabitants and is a kind of like global center of uh high-speed internet the wi-fi there was better than the wi-fi at home honestly yeah exactly um Uh, and i mean there's a co-working space in a town of 300 people yeah the blue bank um there's a really good co-working space um but yeah at at the same time like there were real challenges for how you would set up a nightclub so how how do you get uh decks out there how do you get a sound system how do you get bouncers how do you get booze you know, booze is uh, not is a commodity, a precious commodity in Iceland. It's very expensive, and it's only like sold in certain places. So how do you get booze? How, yeah, uh, and uh, we ju- we did it just about. <laughs> we got the stuff there. I mean, you came. Like, did it feel like a nightclub? When you're in that venue, you forget where you are almost until you leave the venue. So you feel like you're in this club environment until you peek out the the curtains and you see this majestic mountainous backdrop and you're like oh shit like yeah i am still in iceland it did feel very much like a wormhole oh that's good i'm i'm glad you felt that um yeah and there there were the northern lights one night as well so people people were being dragged off the off the dance floor by passionate locals to be like hey come look at the lights yeah (laughs) but that's that's another kind of my seventh or eighth time now missing the northern lights when they were like happening and i just wasn't just wasn't aware of them so yeah (laughs) triggering for me a little bit but (laughs) well that's good if you don't have the drugs at least you have the northern lights Uh, right exactly you you still got the kind of surreal feeling i'm i'm curious about the reaction when so you're contacting a dj pitching him on this uh, this festival in the middle of nowhere what is the immediate reaction you're getting from people? Uh, well, honestly, I think maybe the well, at least one of the DJs didn't quite know what was going on until he got out there. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd, I can imagine. I'd booked, I'd gone through his agent and I'd booked him for this party. This guy Rahan, who's like a kind of hero of mine and like a real disc, a, a hero to people who like disco anyway. And uh, yeah, he sort of turned up after having been on like the world's smallest plane uh flying into this like tight tiny town through this perilous kind of fjord and uh yeah he just turned up and was like what the fuck's going on because <laughs> he showed up in like late afternoon didn't he because i remember when he first got in he came into the the coffee shop and then he played that night and then he left like immediately did he go home like the next morning early the next morning yeah, he he was there for a short period. I mean, maybe in retrospect, he should have been there for longer, but um, it really was a flying visit for him. And I think he was just like, what the fuck's going on? But I mean, I, I, I was really pleased because he came in and tested the sound equipment and was like, yeah, sounds good. And that was like, <laughs> I felt like half the job had been done, you know, that he could come in there and be like, oh, yes, sounds like a club, you know? Yeah, I thought it was so funny just like, thinking what he how he must feel like flying into this place showing up 
playing his set and then like i saw, like saw him walk off with his like suitcase at like two in the morning whenever he was done he didn't like you know didn't stick around after his set <laughs> and i think he you know was driven to the airport the next morning and like he must have just felt like that entire experience was such a a dream the next day when he woke up like what the fuck was that like less than 24 hours ago he wasn't even <laughs> hadn't even started that experience and now it's over already but how did you choose that town specifically to be the site of detour disco because you had the idea for the concept first and then it was about choosing a destination and you had been there prior and is that when it it hit you that that was a good setting for that concept yeah, so, something like that, or, or slightly later when I've, I'd returned. So I'd gone out to Thingy to write to write a story about the Blue Bank, the co-working space that you mentioned, um, which is one of the world's most remote co-working spaces, uh, which is kind of interesting in itself. And I'd, I'd, I'd done that, I'd written this story, and then I was due to fly home. And, you know, that tiny plane that flies you in couldn't fly out because it was snowing. And uh, so I was stuck, and it just so happened that the night that I was stuck was the night of something called the Hunebol, which is the couple's dance. So this is like a kind of annual celebration, like a big big moment for the village. And I went, and uh, people were very warm towards me and embraced me. And uh, a a lot of men especially sort of like, you know, grabbed me by the shoulders and were like, oh, welcome, welcome. And I got the strong sense that they 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 thought that I was sticking around, you know, and I might be helping to expand their gene pool at some point in the near future, <laughs> um, which wasn't unfortunately wasn't unfortunately wasn't the case. Um, and then yeah, and then I was part of this like crazy celebration, which was like brilliant, and uh, I learned like all, all the 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 fjord that Thingy is in is Dreafjorda, and. Uh, Dreafjorda has its own song the Dreafjorda song and it's it's all like my fjord is the most beautiful fjord other fjords pale in comparison to my fjord <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like this so so I, le- I learned to sing the, the Dreafjorda song and then there was like an insane game that they played where a, a woman was wearing like a baseball cap that had tea bags dangling from threads in front of it, and then she had to like flip the cap to get the tea bags to land on the top of the cap. Like absolute, like to, like the, the sort of like batshit stuff that only riveting exists in like small villages. <laughs> yeah, there's no, not, not a lot to do through the long cold winters. They do what know? they can with the budget they have. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. I had a great time, and then yeah, it was actually during the pandemic when. I don't know, you know, human, we were all starved of human contact and the idea of going to a club night was more prescient than ever. And I thought, you know, this, uh, maybe that could work. And uh, I had some phone calls and some more phone calls. And at a certain point, I'd run out of people who were going to say no to me. uh, And I had to do it. And was there pushback? Like, was there a lot of hurdles to jump over to convince people that this was not going to be damaging to the town you know not really which sort of surprised me um so i should say uh there were some like key people i worked on this with not least this guy herker sigurdsson who's a a photographer filmmaker based in east of fjorda and he's kind of in with everybody so that really helped um and yeah iceland is like good for this sort of stuff because 
they're kind of like I don't want to say crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> like they're I mean they're they're creative is what they are like they and they're embracing of unusual concepts. Um, and everybody I mentioned it to was like, yeah, it sounds really Icelandic. So they they're go. out there both literally and figuratively. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of that that Will Ferrell movie Eurovision where they're in the beginning in the village and he's singing that song uh, on the stage and the locals won't let him stop singing that song. That I mean, that's actually really accurate. Like, I, I, <laughs> I've spoken to some Icelandic people about that Eurovision film and they do, I think they do, they're, they're kind of into it. And, you know, in, in that film as well, they've got all of these, like, officials who work for the government and a lot of the officials that I met, like, had a very similar vibe. <laughs> It's like quite kind of weirdly accurate representation of it. We're going to take a short break from the interview for a word from our partners at Matador Network. Are you a travel writer, filmmaker, or an influencer who loves to travel the world for free? Check out creators.matadornetwork.com and explore one of our many press trips. Sign up for free. That's creators.matadornetwork.com. Happy travels. And now back to the interview. So as far as the event went in its execution, what was the most difficult part of pulling it off that you maybe didn't expect? Or, I mean, it sounds like everything everything considered went pretty seamlessly, but what was the most difficult? I remember there was a issue with the ice one day where these guys dropped off ice that just like ended up sitting outside <laughs> and you couldn't get it in or whatever. Yeah, because we we went we went out to get ice for the bar, and you know there there wasn't enough ice in the local supermarket. And then a couple of phone calls later, some fisher person arrived with like an enormous thing of fish ice. You know the ice that they use to refrigerate the fish that they've caught and dumped it outside, and that was great. But yeah, on, honestly, the most the, the most stressful part of it is that there are some laws in Iceland around running events and you have to have a license and you can only apply for the license 12 days before the event. So I don't know. I sold all the, I sold all these tickets and people were coming from all over the world and we put in for the license and everybody Icelandic who I'd spoken to was like, Oh, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. It'll turn up. And then the day before we were going to open, we hadn't got the license. <laughs> and even the oh, Icelandic, God. even the Icelandic people were like, I'm really worried about this. And, uh, <laughs> It, yeah, it like finally showed up on the afternoon before the event, and they like they were like yeah they were like yes you can do the event but you can't go this late so we had to change the times, and that was it. I was I was really repressing a lot, you know, to be like oh, it'll be fine, you know. I'm sure it'll I'm sure we'll get the license. How late was it supposed to go? Because it went till like three a.m. Yeah, well, it was gonna go till four, and, and it didn't need to go till four in the end, so it was fine. Okay, I was just like, what are you trying to make push it to like six? I had I had like a moment because we were, I was there for like a week before getting everything ready and there was a moment when we simultaneously we turned on the sound system for the first time and you were there like that sound system was like beastly it was yeah it was absolutely huge I, we we turned it on for the first time and then simultaneously like a lorry full of uh, vodka arrived so I should name check the the sponsors Rake Vodka who basically made the whole thing possible. 
and a, and a lorry full of makeup vodka arrived. And that was a really like, I, I was both excited and terrified because I was like, oh shit, this is like, I've done this. Like, I persuaded all these people to come from like every fucking corner of the world to this place to do this stupid thing. And here it is. This is it, Johnny. You've done it. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether I was like, more, more excited or terrified in that moment. And was there any mishaps that I, I might not have been aware of? Because it seemed like the most well-behaved, well-mannered club <laughs> clientele that I've ever seen. Like one guy dropped his own drink and immediately st- scrambled for paper towels and cleaned it up himself. He felt so bad. Like made it one to make sure no one slipped on it. I'm like, this was a regular nightclub. You have people pissing in the sink, pouring drinks on each other. It's like three in the morning. You know, like come on. Like this is <laughs> people were so it was so clean. This floor was not sticky. It was so everyone was so well behaved. Did I miss anything? Yeah, no. Shockingly, everyone was really well behaved, and I think I may be partly responsible for this because I, like my 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 big fear was that. Uh, <laughs> you know like basically you've obviously all seen the fire festival documentary my fear was that it was going to be ice festival right and that we would be doing a very different sort of podcast right now um and so i'd pl- i attempted to plan everything down to the most meticulous detail you know like everybody had like a cup for their drinks and uh, everybody had like a wristband and then like a bag to put their you know if they brought alcohol bags to put their alcohol in and I think you know, and, the, and I I think it made it maybe quite sort of charming, but it maybe took away some of the edge of going to like, uh, as you, as you say, a, a pissing in the sink event. <laughs> well, although, Evan, you, although you could probably you could have probably pissed in the sink, you know. Yeah, if 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 you can't figure out who the problem maker was, Evan, it was probably you. It was it was probably me. It was I. I did keep asking for vodka on the rocks, like not mixed with anything, and they were like, "No, no, we're not supposed to do that. Like you have to you have to mix it with something." And I was like, "Like all right, all right." And then like I by like drink three or four, I'm like, "Can I just I just give me a vodka on the rocks?" And they're like, "Okay, but like don't don't tell anybody." And then the next the next day comes around and they're like vodka on the rocks i'm like yeah vodka on the rocks that and i felt like i was like being a like a rule breaker for getting a vodka <laughs> on the rocks because they weren't allowed to do it and then i guess they got the okay to, to give people just straight vodka without a mixer i didn't know if that was because of um uh, like a shortage of the bottles or because they thought the people were going to get too fucked up and they wanted people to mix with stuff yeah so the drinks uh, I, again like the the kind of instruction was um don't give people straight vodka because you know we didn't want absolute carnage uh and also like the idea of a free bar in iceland is unheard of apparently and yeah. i think that we should that... we should clarify for listeners that it was a free every drink the drinks were all provided by reka vodka and it was all for free so the only drink that was being offered at the club was reka vodka and there was an option to mix it with juice soda or tonic water i believe yeah and you know again thanks to make vodka because i mean one one thing i wanted to do is that there's already this massive barrier to going to this thing because you've got to get to the middle of nowhere in iceland so i didn't want the ticket to be expensive and also you know if you if you make it like i don't know 200 300 a ticket you get a certain sort of person turning up and i hesitate to call them pricks but basically pricks you know people have got like too much money (laughs) um 
So the t- the the tickets like a ticket for the weekend was thirty pounds, which is what like twenty five dollars or something, something like that, slightly more. That's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing, right? There's con- con- concerts in major cities cost more than that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I was like, yeah, okay, it costs nothing. All the drinks are free, and people just could not get their heads around this. They were like, <laughs> like, what? Why is this happening? Yeah, like, what's the catch? What's the catch? Yeah, but you know there wasn't one, and I think by the by the end of the Saturday night, like people had really understood the vibe of it and the kind of spirit. And um, there was this guy, Hermie Gervel, who's a kind of Icelandic electronic musician, and he played and he did a live set, and it was great, wasn't it? I mean, he just like absolutely rocked it, and uh, it just all kind of took off and. I think like that was the moment really where everybody was like, okay, we're all here together, and I've I, I've met these people, and they're my friends now, and uh, um, we're 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 watching something that's kind of really unique and different. Um, I don't know that I found that I found that somewhat heartwarming. And I think it was because he's an Icelandic DJ that yeah people kind of coalesced around that, you know, that kind of brought the whole concept together. And by the time saturday night rolled around like if you'd been hanging around town for the last two days you've kind of seen everybody that is going to this party at some point throughout the weekend already so it almost felt by the end of the weekend that like you were going to your local bar on a saturday night and just seeing people from your your town because you'd seen the dj like herma gervel eating lunch at the coffee shop like that day and then he's killing it at 2 a.m at the club that night and like everyone that's working in the events uh, like photographers the organizers everyone is all kind of like milling around at the co-working space whatever it's such a small town you're gonna see everybody so there was the sense of community by the end of it that made that last night pretty special yeah well, that's nice i mean the the com- community in iceland is often based around uh, hot tubs <laughs> um, hot dogs hot dogs and hot tubs and there's even like i even saw an advertising campaign recently for an icelandic brand which was like have a hot dog in the hot tub um, <laughs> yeah but uh yeah like i got into hot tubs with a variety of different people over the weekend and um that was that was nice you know it's like spend the day in the hot tub spend the night in the club clubs and tubs tough life clubs and tubs yeah exactly clubs and tubs uh, as far as the people that showed up, you said you spent a lot of time trying to convince people from all over the world to come to this thing. Was it a lot of word of mouth, people you knew? Uh, there's a lot of people there that were from London and Iceland, kind of like the two major uh, places where people were coming from, it seemed like. Uh, were a lot of people there completely new to you, people through your kind of friend network? How did you market this event? Well, I mean, it helps that I have a fairly senior position in the travel press uh and i was able to leverage some of that um and you know i I used to work for time out and things like that um but uh yeah like press press was the main thing and you know what when i started there was always the chance that nobody would be into it and nobody would come and it was that was a really good kind of proof of concept moment when i actually sold a whole bunch of tickets um so yeah, we had we had people, definitely people from London. We had quite a few people from the states, including this like fantastic group of people from LA who all worked in the music industry and were like 
going around promising to make everybody famous was like, I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you famous, <laughs> <laughs> which was which is brilliant. I, you know, I've not yet been no, made. No one, ever, no one ever came up to me promised to make me famous. <laughs> Didn't know that was going on. Now I'm a little left out. Yeah, well, I, I am not yet famous, so... Uh, That's fine. I wonder who... I didn't even wasn't even aware there were people there from L.A. Were they the farthest traveled? Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, what, what I found is that, again, the tickets were so cheap. I think a lot of people just bought a ticket being like, oh, who cares if I don't turn up? And then, obviously, a lot of people didn't turn up. Um, but luckily, those spaces were backfilled by fantastic Icelandic people who just came and caught the vibe and ran with it. And there's also a small um, kind of marine biology university in the West Fields of Iceland. So there were a lot of like um, very uh, outgoing marine biologists there, you know, which who doesn't want that at your party? That was probably, it was probably the, the party of their entire career there or you know student years that's like the one thing they're gonna remember is this crazy discotheque party that happened once you can't really have a successful club night without outgoing marine biologists i've, I've always said that <laughs> it's like it was good but like where are the marine biologists yeah exactly i there was a point at which two two um women came up to me and i'm pretty sure they were marine biologists although i mean i'm not saying you can <laughs> tell but i had that, I had that <laughs> and they were like Hey, we've prepared a dance to do at your event for the event. Would you like to see it? I was like, sure, I'll, I'll see the dance. And then they like set off doing this like choreographed dance that they'd put together between <laughs> themselves. And it was basically like watching like an IRL TikTok. <laughs> and they did this. And they did this whole like quite sexy dance while I sort of stood there. <laughs> kind of With your like, hand on making your chin, a brute. Like... Make, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like making approving okay. faces. Like, oh yeah, very good. Yeah, no, very artful. Yeah, that screams marine biologists. <laughs> the, I was actually surprised by how many young people were there because I assumed that the demographic would skew older just because of the demographics of who's living in the area. But I'd say like the majority of people there were like under 30, 35, right? I mean, I don't know if you know or have that information but see just the eye test it looked like it no i think i think most of the young people within kind of striking distance of it did turn up for yeah. one of the nights yeah because as you say it is not not the usual thing to happen no definitely not did it meet your expectations the event uh yeah like i i i don't know when something is the kind of culmination of I don't know, a year and a half of planning and it, it kind of um, condenses into two nights and a total of about 12 hours. It's a bit it's a bit like a wedding, right, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've not got married, but I imagine you you do all this and then you have it and at the end of it, you're like, was it good? It's like, I don't fucking know. You know, it's just something that, <laughs> that like happened to me. Yeah, there's no, you have no frame of reference because this is like an idea that you created and you have nothing to compare it against i guess if you do it in the future you can look back and compare it to previous years yeah and your experience is different than the experience of the people that have attended you know as the organizer or you know the person getting married or whatever it may be you're inherently occupied throughout the entire thing so your vibe might be a little different yeah and i will i mean i tried to 
you know, I'd love to say I was like, I was so relaxed, but I was stressed, you know, I was stressed about it. And in the end, I had no reason to be, it went off without a hitch. But I, I, I think, um, I think it was good. And I think that people kind of understood it. And I think there's now a kind of wave of people who are like, you know what, I'd love to come to the next one. And um, that's, that's good. That's kind of what I wanted. And so that makes me feel really good about it. And what would you do anything differently in the future as far as the concepts or except for obviously different location, but would you tweak anything to something you felt didn't work this time you change for next time? I think, I don't know, maybe just make it a tiny bit messier as you say, but I, th- I think that, um, vodka on the rocks, straight vodka. Yeah. <laughs> no options for mixer. You want a mixer, you can't have one. Yeah, exactly. You just, it's pure alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> no uh, food either no no option for food no just food. alcohol i mean when you when you like you know when you everybody talks about woodstock being this amazing celebration but when you read about woodstock it was like an absolute nightmare and there was no food <laughs> and people were like starving <laughs> right while being, like, being incredibly high at the same time and uh, yeah so like that you know so do you have a destination in mind for next year is that under wraps still being decided I, I do, and um, I don't know if I want to say anything about it, but I might say it's not... It is Europe, um, okay. and it is more... Uh, God, what would the word be? It's, 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 it's not at the edge of the world. It's more of a kind of on the edge of some incredible vista. Like, I want this part... I want this party to have, like, to be overlooking this view that like absolutely blows your mind but but somewhere that you know you wouldn't necessarily think to go typically and that's all i'm that's all i can say about it it's not svalbard (laughs) it's not svalbard you know i'm not i'm not going to try and outdo myself in the remoteness stakes i'm going to try and outdo myself in the beautiful destination stakes all right well we've narrowed it down to like twelve thousand possible places based on what you just said so gave us something to to mull over yeah well you know i yeah <laughs> i think i think like the, the the event will will necessarily have to change based on where it is and you know what i can get hold of sure and also that the music has all, always got to be somewhat a reflection of where you are as well there has to be some local dj or local artist as well yeah absolutely well i can't wait i'm sure it's going to be amazing can't wait to hear where it's going to be and thanks for coming on where can people go to learn more about the next iteration of Detour Disco and you and whatever you're you're getting up to these days? Sure. Well, you can go to DetourDisco.com and uh, we've got a mailing list there. You can sign up to, to hear about the next one and you can follow us on Instagram at Detour Disco. Yeah, and uh, you shall be updated. Looking forward to it. All right, Johnny. Thanks a lot. Good to see you. Thanks, Johnny. Okay. Thanks, guys. Welcome to News of the Day. Thanks again to Johnny for joining us. The first article we got today is Sleep with Over 1 Million Bees on the First Bee Farm on Airbnb. Now, this bee farm in southern Italy, guests can book a one-of-a-kind stay, be surrounded by a million working bees spending the night in a one-bedroom, one-bathroom honeycomb-shaped apiary that is 
constructed by volunteers designed by David Tagliab. I don't know who that is, but I guess he's big in the bee community. Uh, beekeeper Rocco will welcome guests to the farm and teach them how to live surrounded by bees. What do we think of this? Do we think this is terrifying, fun, cool? I think this is this is something that could have only gotten popular post-COVID, right? Because during COVID, everybody got chickens. Uh, people got into beekeeping. They're, everybody's got this massive garden now. So they're definitely capitalizing on like the trend of this kind of home agriculture. By everyone stuff. got chickens, do you mean you got chickens? I did. and Well, no, the country sold out of chickens when COVID like, first as started. As pets or as like chicken for grocery store food? As pets. Really? I didn't know that. I thought you were just extrapolating your own personal pet experience to everybody. You're like, well, I got chickens, so that must mean everyone lots got of chickens. Pe- lots of people got chickens. Uh, and now lots okay. of people are going to learn how to keep bees. I don't understand the lack of fear around bees. Like when people, you're sitting on a bench, you're reading, it's a nice day, a bee lands on your leg, right? There's two kinds of people. People like me who jump up screaming and run away and the bee chases them. And the other kind of people that just sit there calmly, lower their finger toward the bee, and they give little, the bee a little high five. And they look at you, and they're like, it's just nature, bro. Like, what's wrong with nature? I don't understand those people. Well, I used to be one of the scared people because when I was a very young kid, I was playing right field on my Little League baseball team, and I got stung by a bee in the outfield and fell over. And they had to stop <laughs> the game and run out and help me. <laughs> and so I... <laughs> <laughs> For years after that, I was afraid of bees. <laughs> it's the way that, uh, just to be clear, I'm laughing at the falling over part. Where did it sting you? Uh, it, I, I think it stung me on my arm. And you fell over. How, how old were you? I was probably like six, seven. I, was it from the pain? Uh, you were just in so much pain that you collapsed? or I, I think it just surprised me, and I was scared, and I didn't know what to do. But after the game... When we were cleaning up and putting everything away, I, I overheard the kids on the other team making fun of me. Wow. <laughs> and how do you feel about that now? Well, I now it's a funny story, but I for years after that, I was terrified of bees. And I was the person that would run away. But I've learned now to be a little bit more zen about it. And if you sit there, they're not going to mess with you. But you were just minding your own business in the outfield, and the bee stung you, unprovoked. Yeah. I mean, I may have been, like, swatting at it. I don't remember. This was 30 years ago. Mm, seems like a pretty important detail to forget, but okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that for sure the best thing to do is just sit there and be zen about it. I just don't know how people can do that when it's a giant, especially when those, like, those carpenter bees, those big fucking fat bees. And people just sit there like, oh, it won't bother you if you don't bother them. Well, case in point, Tim in the outfield, six years old, falls over. So... <laughs> Don't come at me about bees. Not in, not interested in this apiary hotel. Have you ever been stung by a bee? Yeah, I actually got stung by a bee. I think it was a wasp, actually. But it was in uh, my beach towel. And I, like, unfurled my beach towel and sat on it, and it stung me. And, yeah, I, I don't think that's, like, traumatized me or anything. I was always afraid of bees, wasps, whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. It's I know not all bees sting, but they're scary they're they're like what i don't understand i think people are being hardos people are trying to be like tough guys or have a false sense of confidence when they're like no i don't care about the bee i don't care it's it's gonna sting me just leave it alone it'll leave you alone all right you can have the same zen zen nature when you're out on on an ice sheet faced with a polar bear 
that's fine, dude. It's just nature. Polar bears are just nature. We're all just living and breathing beings on the same planet. We're all just energy. Okay. If you want to sleep in this bee hotel, sleep in a polar bear hotel and then talk to me. Because to me, it's the exact same thing. Uh, moving on, our second article today is called Time to Visit Europe. Dollar to Euro Exchange Rate is the closest it's been in years. And it actually is incredibly close as of right now the euro is value compared to the dollar is 1.035 which is pretty much even you trade in a euro you're going to get three pennies more than your dollar so that's pretty pretty niche it has not been this close in quite a while so if you are traveling to the eurozone this summer you're in luck you're going to have a better deal than you would have uh within the past decade or more probably at what point do you stop considering the exchange rate so i it's easy U.S. dollar to euro, it's kind of one to one. U.S. dollar to pounds, it's you know like uh, if you're spending 10, 10 pounds, you're probably spending like thirteen U.S. dollars. That's kind of easy to keep in your head as you travel. But when you get to go to places like Indonesia or Thailand or even like Hungary, where one U.S. dollar is the equivalent of like three hundred and fifty local currencies, you can't keep that straight. You know, you can't be doing that math in your head every time you go to buy something so at one point you just say fuck it the exchange rate is in our favor stuff here is cheap i'm not going to do the math i'm not going to think about how much stuff costs i'm just going to assume i'm getting a decent deal and just buy everything i want i mean i just i automatically do the math in my head every time you know when you're in mexico it's 20 pesos it's you know it's you just do it i can't avoid it i see something that costs 100 pesos i know that that's about five dollars yeah it's give or take you know, 10 cents on any given day, but it's a ballpark figure. I think that's all you need is the ballpark figure. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking of like doing road trips through different countries and like in the Balkans or Baltics when I did that. And it's different for every country. So you can't like every country has its own currency that has a different exchange rate and you're in a different country every day or every two days. So like it's, it's too much work to keep up with the exchange rates. You can kind of figure out, all right, I, if I'm going to get like a burger that cost me 3,500 Macedonian dollars, I'm probably paying somewhere between like 10 and $12. It's probably affordable. I'm not even going to bother doing the math. You just kind of dismiss it out of hand. I got a $5,000 Indonesian rubles note that I brought back with me from Indonesia. That's $2, two or three bucks in the US, 5,000. So at that point, it's like if someone tells me you got to pay $10,000, 10,000 rubles for this. I'm not even going to do that math in the head. I'm just going to know. Don't bother. It's probably affordable. Just pay it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. At some point, it's it's more important to just enjoy your time and not be worried so much about the exchange rate. I, I will say that I've never not traveled somewhere or traveled specifically to somewhere because of the exchange rate. It's never been that big of a deal to me. Well... Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halke, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.